stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. And by the way, it looks like the finance minister is uh, taking some questions on the uh, Trans Mountain situation. The uh, news today about the increase in cost of the project. We'll try to get some of that uh, for you a little bit later in this hour. But let's delve into this uh, issue around the tech frontier mine. This proposed $20 billion oil sands project wasn't really on the radar a few months ago, but this is very much uh, at, at the center at the moment when it comes to Alberta-Ottawa relations. And just when it seemed everyone was getting along in the aftermath of the uh, Federal Court of Appeal decision this week on Trans Mountain, uh, this could really exacerbate existing tensions. And the federal government has a lot to try to balance as it uh, contemplates what to do. Look, the fact is, we don't know what the decision is going to be, despite these reports today about uh, the government preparing a quote-unquote aid package for Alberta. But Ottawa has until the end of the month to say yes or no on this. Now, this has been reviewed. It's been studied. Uh, so certainly there's, there's all of that for the federal government to draw upon. There's the commitments they made in the last election about emissions and climate policy. There's political considerations, both in terms of how Alberta is going to feel uh, and how their own caucus is going to feel. Story yesterday that there's a lot of caucus pressure on the prime minister to say no to this. Now, we saw today some pretty disturbing jobless numbers for Alberta, just as the rest of the country is going in the right direction. We seem to be taking a step backward. So, I mean, if we could get some of these projects going, that would help address that. But lost amid all the drama around uh, Tech Frontier and the story today from Reuters was the fact that there are about 20 already approved projects that are sitting dormant. So would Tech just be uh, another one on that list? What, what's going on on that side of it? Well, joining us to, to go through all of this, very pleased to welcome the program here this afternoon, Andrew Leach, Energy and Environmental Economist, Associate Professor at the Alberta School of Business, University of Alberta. Dr. Leach, great to have you with us. You're welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back. Uh, by the way, regarding the Trans Mountain cost, uh, that, that story today, anything about that surprise you or, or alarm you? Uh, certainly uh, the latter. It's, it's bad news in the sense that the more expensive that project gets to build, the higher the tolls are going to be, which means the less cost advantage Albertans see on the, the value of the crude moving to the to the West Coast. So... You know, that's eventually money that comes out of Alberta producers and, by extension, Alberta government coffers and Albertans coffers from uh, from the royalty impact. Yeah, well, that yeah, that's that's a good point. I guess in terms of the the value of the project, uh, and assuming we're eventually going to to sell it at some point, it, does that still leave us room to to generate a profit on that side? Uh, well, you know, the the project itself, in, in a way, is well, I wouldn't say more valuable, but but. Because of the nature of pipeline projects, you can increase the tolls to cover those capital costs, yeah. and, and so the project's still going to generate a return on a larger base, probably a smaller return on a larger base, uh, as long as they can still get uh, contra- contracted shippers to commit to those higher tolls. So right. as long, that's going to be the linchpin is what are the tolling conditions? Does it succeed it? Do they have to go out and renegotiate contracts, and can they get enough shippers on side to... Uh, keep the project viable. I, I expect they will be able to, but this is uh, pushing in the wrong direction. Right, because there are shipper contracts already for it, aren't there? There are, but the, the contracts or the commitments have sunset clauses on the time in which the, the project gets through the regulatory process, the time in which it, it comes online, 
and what the capital costs that would be included in the toll will be. So this, I think, although I have to go back and, and check with some more detail, I think this puts the proponent in, in the situation of having to go back to shippers with a renegotiation of some of those. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about uh, tech resources, their proposed frontier mine, which has uh, become a real political lightning rod. Uh, first of all, Andrew, and I, I know people have asked this a lot, that uh, this is a project contained in Alberta. What, what gives Ottawa jurisdiction over this, first of all? So Ottawa has jurisdiction. I mean, the environment is shared jurisdiction. So there are aspects of this project that are going to influence interprovincial rivers. There are aspects that influence fisheries, wildlife, endangered species, national parks, things that are very clearly within federal jurisdiction. So the environmental assessment is a joint federal and provincial effort that tries to do in one process uh, the, the address the concerns of both. And in this case, you need sign-off from, there'll be an Alberta approval uh, that needs sign-off from the Alberta government, and there's a federal approval that needs uh, cabinet approval for it to go ahead. Right. All right. So that decision needs to be made. Um, If if the answer is no, would it be fair to characterize that, as the environment minister did today, as, as an arbitrary political decision? I don't think it's it's going to be arbitrary. I think it's very clear, even in the um, even in the panels waiting, the the phrase the, the panel used in reviewing the project was, yes, the project is in the public interest and we approve the application, but project environmental effects and cumulative effects have weighed heavily on the panel's assessment. So they're very clearly saying, you know, that there's two sides to this project, and I think it's it's always an aspect of our decision-making that we let the final say on those trade-offs go to elected officials, not to bureaucrats. Right. So, yeah, there, there is a lot that's being balanced here because this would have, assuming it goes ahead, and we can get into that in a second, but there would be considerable economic benefits of this, but there, there would be, and the report even says, uh, significant adverse cumulative effects of going ahead with this. For sure. And, and I think that's the, you know, that's the crux of this decision. I've seen certainly people in Alberta painted as saying that, you know, this got a clean rubber stamp. The environment minister said this morning... Uh, something like the federal feds haven't asked for any conditions on this, and, and that's just patently false. There's pages upon pages upon pages of conditions in the environmental assessment, in the draft uh, decision statement, et cetera, that are coming from the federal end of this project. So it's, it's by no means uh, the federal government saying, yes, go ahead. And the same is true for the Alberta Energy Regulator, pages upon pages of conditions. But if we have meaningful climate policy in place, if we, we have a price on carbon, um, doesn't that allow for projects to go ahead and that, that these policies would then apply to that? I mean, how, how does this affect Canada's emissions and, and the government's attempts uh, to meet certain targets? So, so I, I tend to agree with, with you in general to say, you know, put the carbon policies in place and, and the same way that we don't, you know, no one's going to show up at the edge of my driveway this morning or this afternoon if I... If I decide to drive to work, no one's going to come in and say, well, you know, you could actually bike, so please leave your car parked. Right. Uh, we, we shouldn't do that with large industrial projects either. But, uh, you know, that said, we do have uh, some, you know, this is a four megaton project. It's a larger scale than some other things that the government would be considering. And there are other pieces of the, the puzzle that the Alberta government has put in place, namely the 100 megaton cap that they've used in other circumstances to say, you know, the pipeline, for example, should go ahead, and one of the re- justifications for that is the 100 megaton cap. 
does this project fit within the 100 megaton cap? Is Alberta prepared to regulate the 100 megaton cap? This becomes a test for all of those things as well. Right, because we, we've certainly heard that recently, that the federal government is looking for more cooperation from Alberta on those issues. I, I think Alberta's position kind of is, well, you guys are imposing your plan on us anyway, so that's that's more of a you problem. Um, yeah, right. And, so and I think that's, that's fair sort of as far as it goes. Yeah. The, you know, for, I, I think the minister this morning said, oh, we're nowhere near the 100 megaton cap, and, and I think... To an extent, he's correct. The, the forecasts that we're on right now, we're not going to breach what was discussed, at least in 2015, 16, 17, as the 100 megaton cap. But we don't have regulations to tell us exactly what it is. But in a related sense, if the economic conditions are such that tech goes ahead, so oil prices go up, pipelines get built, you have partners who are ready to come in and invest in the oil sands again, uh, in that situation, that's probably a case where the cap comes back into play. So you can't sort of have your cake and eat it too. You can't say tech is beaten down the doors, ready to build this project. Oh, we're no long, nowhere near the 100 megaton cap. Those two things aren't going to be simultaneously true. Right. And let's let's go further down that path because uh, there, there are a lot of factors going on beyond whatever Ottawa does on, on this project. Oil prices being what they are. There was the curtailment policy. Um because even the, the CEO of tech has acknowledged that there's no guarantee that this project is going to go ahead. And as we read today in this, this Reuters story, there are about 20 or so already yeah. approved projects that are sitting dormant. So what, what's going on on that side? Absolutely. You know, that, that's a drama I've been banging for a while to say, you know, there, there are projects that are sitting uh, either waiting for longer term investment decisions or that are idle, including projects that look a lot like this one. So I, I put out on my Twitter maybe half an hour ago, uh, the federal government's decision, similar decision, same regulation in 2013 to permit Shell's Jack Pine mine expansion. That project's now owned by Canadian Natural, and the last update I've seen, there are no plans to proceed with that expansion. It was approved six years ago. And you know there, there are other mining projects available, and there are probably... Yeah, close to 20 in situ projects that would be better economic cases than the frontier mine, and those aren't being built today. And why is that? Uh, well, part of it is the, the, pi- the pipeline factor. That certainly weighs on, on any new project, especially with curtailment in place. If you add barrels to your uh, company's portfolio, you just got to take barrels out somewhere else. So that makes it a challenge. Uh, the price is the big one, though, that you know we know from these projects that uh, these are projects that need 25, 25, 20, 25 years of oil prices that are higher than they are today, even for the, some of the best in situ projects. And so for a company to green light a, that long term a bet on oil, especially when some of them are, are cash flow challenge or balance sheet challenge, that's just not on the uh, on the horizon right now. So what about that? that maybe it's a more cynical take that. Ottawa can just say yes because this probably won't happen anyway. Yeah, I think I think you know that's in some ways that that is a cynical take. The um, what we want our regulatory process to do is to take into account: okay, is this a project that, from cabinet's perspective, is in the national interest, is in the public interest, and to make that decision looking at the attributes of the project itself. I mean, you have to look at it in the whole, but I don't think you can turn around and say, yeah, sure, we'd allow that in principle uh, without 
having something attached to it, whether or not it gets built. I mean, it's it's not realistic, I would assume, then, you know, for all of these projects to suddenly spring back to life, even if we get progress on TMX and Keystone XL and Line 3 and prices bounce back. I mean, it is, would that be realistic? No, it's it's not. I think you'll see some of them, some of the better ones come in as companies' financial positions get better. Certainly, you know, some of the assets, some of the companies, their, their financial positions have been improving up until the, the coronavirus at least took down uh, the oil price. We've seen significant improvement, really good financial results from some of the companies for a while. So some of them might be in a position to fund uh, some of these expansions or, or new projects in, in the relatively near future. I think Suncor's talked about 2022 for Lewis, and, and there's a few others that are in that in that space. So, yes, you could see some of them. You're not going to see all of them. And you're only going to see those few if oil prices are in a position to make them work. Uh, well, right. And as you say, I mean, right now, uh, you know, curtailment had some, some positive impact, although there's... There's much more of a, a gap between, uh, you know, the uh, Western Canadian, Canadian Select and WTI. And this whole coronavirus situation has really shaken the markets. Oil's down at the moment. So it's um, not a lot of encouraging news on that front. No, and, and I think that's part of the problem with making this, in some ways, a, a political football. But also, you know, holding it out as this is 7,000 jobs that are waiting to come around the corner tomorrow. And we saw the unemployment numbers today, you, you referenced them, and, and especially in the markets that would in some ways be exposed to this kind of a project. Uh, I, don't, I don't think it's fair to have the government hold this out as being, you know, this is right around the corner. This, if, you know, if Justin Trudeau makes the right decision, it's gonna be 7,000 jobs in Alberta. And that's just not the case. I mean, the CEO of tech, for one, he said, we can't build this project. We need a partner. And it's too big for them alone. And, you know, we watched Suncor yesterday take an almost $3 billion write-down on Fort Hills, which is tech's other project in the oil sand. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for tech right now, if you're a tech shareholder, you're looking and saying Fort Hills isn't working the way we thought it was going to work. We're going to need to essentially make a company-scale bet on a new oil sands project to build it. We're going to need a partner. Who's our partner going to be? And all of those potential partners have other projects that they could build that have been approved for years. What about the argument? We heard it today from from the Premier, and I think it was echoed by the Environment Minister as well, that, that there's also an issue, a broader issue here around investor certainty, and, and that a no, and it get, gets back to the question of how arbitrary that would be, but did, did, what, what do you make of that argument, that it's about a broader message around investor certainty? I, You know, I, I don't think that's there. I think, in a way, this is... This is a pro- an outlier of a project in many ways. It's the furthest north, for closest to Wood, uh, Wood Buffalo National Park. It's a mining project when we know the types of tailings liability and challenges that we're seeing on the tailings front. That's, that makes it unique. It's the largest single mining project ever produced. Um, it's produced as, by an operator that hasn't operated an oil sands. So there are a whole lot of elements to this project that are very different than saying point blank no to any new oil sands project. And of course, you know, beyond that, a lot of the new oil sands projects are in situ projects, even the ones that aren't already approved don't necessarily have to go through a federal process as long as uh, the provincial policies maintain their level of stringency that they're at right now. And so there's no sense in which this is a, 
no new oil sands projects or no new oil sands investments. It's a project level decision. And by the in way, the same way as right, the, the the Alberta government is holding back approval on a couple of oil sands projects, in particular ones that that infringe on the the Moose Lake area, and that's not a no to all future oil sands projects. It's a we have significant concerns about one particular project, and we're going to make a decision. I don't know what decision they're going to make, but we need to make a thoughtful decision about this. And I don't think, you know, supposing the government decides, no, this project can't go ahead, that's not going to be a no to all future oil sands development. It's going to be a no to all future oil sands development that have these particular attributes that make it not in the public interest. Is it just, is it the scope of it then? I mean, you know, and, and certainly the Premier today is, is playing up, you know, tech's aspirations to, to be net zero on its mining operations, you know, its, its emissions intensity, its, et cetera. So is it simply about just how big it is? Well, you know, the, the Premier's kind of uh, played around with that number a little bit. He, he walked back his, the earlier claim was that it was going to be half the emissions intensity of the average North American barrel. Now it's half the emissions intensity of the average oil sands barrel. But, you know, this is an important bit. It's not even lower emissions than the last two similar mines which have been built. It's not lower than Fort Hills, and it's not expected to be lower than Curl. And so this isn't a case of a, of a proponent coming in with a radically better technology that's revolutionizing the way we do oil sands. It's doing it rel- essentially the same way as the last two projects, with a slightly lower grade resource that's going to cost them to have a slightly higher operating cost and slightly higher emissions. And by the way, I mean, you don't have to answer this, but I mean, do you have a gut feeling about whether this is going to be yes or no? I, I really don't. I, I, I think it's going to be, I think it's the realm of possibility is yes, with some significantly more stringent conditions um, to a refusal. But I think you need to see that you're going to see something more than simply a um, approval as as the conditions were stated in the in the document and, and I hope that we see some on you know I've been talking a lot about tailings the last couple of weeks I think we need to see something that says uh, a more credible statement on tailings plan uh, and text on a lot of things right on tailings but they still have pit lakes at the end of development that we don't really know whether those are going to work and so um, we need alternative plans there. We need greenhouse gas emissions to be best in class, not just middle of the pack on, on that type of mine. You know, those things have got to be there. All right. We'll leave it there. Great conversation. Uh, much more to andrewleach.ca on Twitter as well. Andrew underscore Leach. Uh, appreciate making some time for us here today, Andrew. Thanks for this. Thank, thank you, sir. Have a good day. You too. Andrew Leach, uh, the University of Alberta uh, at the uh, Alberta School of Business. Uh, we're long in this segment here. Got to take a break. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.